are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. So Romans chapter 5 is where we are going to uh, be today. And uh, maybe, maybe you're like me and, and my wife. One of the things that we like to do is uh, we like to drive around. We like to drive around downtown Sanford and look at all of the homes that have been restored uh, over the years. I, I love to look at old cars uh, that have been restored. And I think that one of the reasons that I enjoy looking at those homes and enjoy looking at those cars is because I know uh, that I will never be able to do that. Right? Uh, I don't know what all it took to restore that home. Uh, I don't know what all it took uh, to restore that car. But whatever it is, I don't think I can do it. <clears throat> and so this morning, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look and we're going to think about this idea of restoration. Uh, we're going to think about this idea of restoring things. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 5. And we're going to look at this picture that Paul gives us uh, of Jesus as the last Adam. And I was talking with a pastor friend this week, told him what uh, I was preaching on. He was telling me what he was preaching on. And uh, he said, do you think that uh, you think that the church can, uh, can handle talking about the last Adam, the, this passage from Romans 5? It's a tight, uh, argued, tightly argued passage. I said, look, there ain't no church like Central Church, all right? Uh, they can handle it. So uh, Romans chapter 5, uh, and as we look at this, this is what we're going to see, that Jesus is the last Adam who restores all that the first Adam lost. Jesus is the last Adam who restores all that the first Adam lost. So look with me here at Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word. The Spirit says to us this morning, starting in verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness. Father, I pray that you would speak to us now. God, we want to hear from you. And so, Lord, we pray that through your word that you would speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage... We're going to see uh, how Jesus renews, how Jesus restores uh, a few things about us, a few things in us. And so uh, the first we see is this, is that Jesus gives us a new status. Uh, Jesus gives us a new status. Uh, now, I think it would be fair to say that as Americans, we care about our status, right? The reason we drive that car that we do is because in many ways, it's a status symbol. The, the reason we, we live in the house that we do or the neighborhood that we do is uh, because of this or that. And even you pull back from the individual and you go to kind of the national level, right? We want people to know that we are the biggest and the best nation. I think it's fair to say that we care about our status. Well, Paul here, he's going to show in verse 18 how Jesus gives us a new status. And so look here at verse 18. Look at the first word. He starts with therefore. 
what Paul's doing is he's going to summarize and he is going to kind of put the period on, the exclamation point, on this whole section starting in verse 12 all the way down to verse 21. Now, I would have loved this morning to spend some time walking uh, verse by verse from verse 12 down to verse 21, but we would be here till baptism and burgers. Uh, And so you don't want that. Uh, I don't want that. And so we're going to look at kind of the way that Paul summarizes and the way Paul highlights this case, this argument that he's making here in this section. And now, before we understand what's happening here, we've got to understand what Paul is doing in the letter to the Romans. So Paul's writing this letter to the church at Rome. This is a church he's never been to. This is a church he's never seen. He doesn't know the people there, but he's heard about them. Now, this is an important church. This is a church located in a strategic city. Uh, This is a church that is poised to make big gospel impact. But apparently what Paul is hearing from this church is that there is some disagreement. There's some creeping division that is starting to sneak in. And the church is starting to divide, starting to divide along lines of Jews and Greeks. That the Jews and the Greeks, they have this question about, okay, well, well, how does the gospel save? How does the gospel apply to the Jews? How does the gospel apply to the Greeks? And so if you're to go back to Romans chapter 1, And look in verse 16, you would find an important statement. This is kind of the thesis statement for the entire book of Romans. The the main idea that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then what Paul's going to do is he's going to spend the rest of his time unpacking how does this work? What does this gospel look like? And so in Romans chapter 5, we come to Paul unpacking this idea where he's going to compare and he's going to contrast Jesus and Adam. And he's going to make this case, he's going to make this point that the first Adam lost what now the last Adam is going to restore. Right, so what the first Adam lost, the last Adam, Jesus, is going to restore. And so he says, therefore, in verse 18, is one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So what Adam has done, that one trespass, that one sin led to condemnation, look there at verse 18, for who? For all men. Not for some or not for many or not for most, but for all. See, in the garden, Adam was operating, Adam was functioning as kind of our representative, you could think about it, as our, uh, our representative head. And so if Adam would have been obedient, then even today you and I would enjoy life and fellowship and perfect relationship with the Father in a world free from sin. But because of Adam's one trespass, because he ate the fruit, now instead we receive condemnation. Now, maybe you're an astute Bible reader and you'd say, Ethan, but, but Adam wasn't the first one to sin. Eve was the one who ate first. And that would be true. But Adam had already abdicated his responsibility to provide and protect for Eve before she ever ate the fruit. So if Adam would have been who Adam should have been, Eve never would have eaten the fruit. And so Adam is that representative. And because of what Adam did, we now get all of his effects. Or we can think of it like this, that we get his benefits, even though we know it's not a benefit, right? We get his consequences. And so here in verse 18, as one trespass, that word trespass, that's an offense against God. Our status is condemnation because of that one trespass. Because of the one man's, his one trespass led to condemnation for all men. See, we've inherited that sin, that sin nature from Adam. 
Now you might say, well, Ethan, that's not fair that I'm a sinner because of what Adam did. Well, it's true. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're sinners because of what Adam did. But we're also sinners and we also stand condemned before a holy God, not just because of what Adam did, but also because of what we do, right? Because we are sinners. We all have fallen short of God's glory. Now, this is bad news, right? That we, apart from Christ, stand condemned before the Father. But the next half of this verse, we get the good news. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. See, this is the good news, that that one act leads to justification and life. Now, what's that one act of righteousness that Paul's talking about there? That, that one act of righteousness that Paul's talking about there is Jesus going to the cross, right? That, that Jesus taking our place on the cross, dying the death, taking the penalty that we deserved. And so that one act of righteousness, it now leads to life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, what Paul's talking about here is he's really talking about nature, He's talking about our sin nature and how our sin nature needs to be replaced by the righteousness of Christ. And he's going to make this a little more clear here in the next verse or so. But he's talking about something that you and I cannot change on our own. We cannot change the fact that we have inherited a sin nature from the first Adam. Now, believe it or not, this is going to shock some of you. Uh, Whenever I was in elementary school, uh, I played basketball. Basketball was my favorite sport. It was the thing that I gave my time and my attention to. And I had the same coach for several years. His name was Coach Hoover. And Coach Hoover, at the end of every practice, he would go person by person on the team and he would give each of us homework. He would say, look, if you're gonna get better this week, you've gotta get better at dribbling. You've gotta get better at passing. You've gotta get better at defense. You've gotta work on your free throws, whatever it may be. Well, he would come to me and he would say the same thing to me every practice. He would say, Ethan, you need to go home and you need to sleep hanging upside down. Because if you're going to get better at basketball, you got to get taller. Well, I knew, right? Like, oh, I guess I'm never going to be good at basketball, right? Because I, there's nothing I could do to change my height. That was something that I had inherited. Now, ironically, I'm the, I'm the tallest person in my family, right? I go to, to family reunions and I'm a giant, right? I'm, I'm huge. But I had inherited that My height, that wasn't something that I could change on my own. What Paul is saying here in verse 18 is that one trespass, that that because of that, we've inherited a sin nature. We've inherited guilt from Adam. And that inherited nature, that sin, that guilt that we have, that's not something that you and I can fix on our own. But if if that issue, if that problem, if that sin nature, if it's going to be fixed... What's going to be fixed by the one act of righteousness that leads to life for all men? See, there's nothing that you or I can do to change that. There's nothing that you or I can do to change our nature, right? That that Jesus, he he didn't tell us, look, if you want to be free from your sin nature, you got to go sleep hanging upside down, right? Or or you've got to go do this, or, or you've got to go do that. No, what Paul says here, and he's just echoing the words of Jesus He says that just as the one trespass led to condemnation for all men, if you want to be free from condemnation, if if you want to be justified, if if you want to have life, then it takes that one act of righteousness. 
And that one act of righteousness, that, that one act of righteousness that isn't something that you do, but it's what Christ has done on the cross. So that, that one act, it changes our status from condemned to justified. It, it changes our status from deserving death to getting life. It changes everything. So Jesus, he gives us a new status, but what we see in verse 19 is that Jesus also gives us a new identity. See, he changes our status and he changes our identity. And now our identity, it's not rooted in us. It's not rooted in me. It's not rooted in what I do. But now that identity, our identity is rooted in Christ. Now, verse 19, Paul's not really, uh, he, he's not really introducing anything new. <clears throat> in fact, what he's doing is he's just clarifying and explaining a little more what he's already talked about in verse 18. So if you look at verse 18, he starts with a negative and he moves to a positive, right? That one trespass leads to condemnation, that's the negative. But one act of righteousness leads to justification and eternal life, that's the positive. Well, here in verse 19, he's gonna do the same thing. He's just gonna make it a little more clear what he's already said in verse 18, he's gonna clarify here in verse 19. So he starts with that word for, that, that word for, that's an explanation word that he's going to explain what he's just said. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, there's the negative, now here's the positive. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And so who's the one man that made many sinners? It's Adam. Right? Because of his disobedience, the many were made sinners. Now, when Paul says the many, what he's talking about there is all. Right? We all have sinned. We know that because in verse 18, he says that all men are condemned. Right? And so he says the, the many were made sinners. Sinners. He says, because of the one man, because of Adam's disobedience. That word disobedience, it literally means a refusal to listen. So because of Adam's refusal to listen, the many have been made sinners. We've inherited Adam's disobedience. We've inherited Adam's refusal to listen. And so like we've already said that we're guilty, one, because of Adam, but we're also guilty because of ourselves. See, we're guilty not just because Adam sinned and now we get his sin nature. We're guilty because of our sin nature. We want to sin, right? We desire to sin. We, we like to sin. And so because of Adam's disobedience and because of our own disobedience, we now, st we now stand guilty. Because of the first Adam's sin, we're made sinners, but Paul goes on just like he did in the last in the last verse, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Because of the first Adam's sin, we're made sinners, but because of the last Adam's obedience, we're made righteous. Because of the last Adam's obedience, what he's talking about there is he's talking about not just Jesus' death, but also Jesus' life. So think about Adam in the garden for a minute. Adam is in the garden and he knows nothing but perfection. He knows nothing but satisfaction. He, he knows nothing but a perfect relationship with the Father. And so think about this, that Adam never knew what it meant to be hungry. Adam never knew what it meant to be thirsty. Adam never knew what it meant to be tired. Now fast forward to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we get this picture of Christ's obedience. In Matthew chapter 4, we've got the temptations of Jesus. 
And if you've spent any time in church, then, then you know what those temptations are, that, that Jesus, he's uh, the, the way that Mark puts it, he actually is driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And he's driven in the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And what we know is that in the wilderness, Satan comes and he tempts Jesus. And he tempts Jesus. And, and when he tempts Jesus, what does Jesus do? Jesus quotes scripture back to Satan to combat the temptations, right? The main point of Matthew 4 and the temptations of Jesus is not that we should memorize scripture, though that's important. See, what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 4 is he's showing that he is succeeding everywhere that Adam failed. Adam is in the garden in perfect relationship with the Father. Satan comes, Adam falls. Jesus is in the wilderness, hasn't eaten, hasn't had anything to drink for 40 days, 40 nights. Satan comes and he tempts him and Jesus is found faithful. See, because of Jesus's obedience in the wilderness, because of Jesus's obedience in life, that leads us to righteousness, that, that leads us to perfection. And that perfection isn't anything that we taste now, but it's the perfection that Jesus has won for us in eternity, right? Notice how Paul, how Paul says this in verse 19. He says, first, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. It's because of Jesus's obedience that he is even qualified to go to the cross in our place, right? It's because Jesus lived the perfect life that he's qualified for that one act of obedience on the cross where he takes our penalty, and so here in verse 19, Paul is highlighting the difference between the first Adam and the last Adam. He, he's saying that we inherit our sin, but we are given righteousness, right? We inherit our sin, but righteousness is what theologians say, imputed. It's given to us. This is really the how and the why of salvation. This is the mechanics of grace, See, Christ takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. He, he takes our old identity and he gives us a new identity. And notice, this identity isn't anything that we create, right? That, that because of Jesus's obedience, the many will be made righteous. A, a couple of weeks ago, I, I, was, I picked up my phone and I, I opened uh, a couple of my uh, different apps. And, and one of those was, uh, was Instagram. And and I had a friend request or a follow request on Instagram. And this follow request was from Pastor Ethan Crowder. And so I clicked on it and I looked and my first thought was, the guy in that picture is really good looking, right? Uh, uh, and what someone had done is they had, they had gone to the church's website. They had taken my picture off the church's website. They had started, opened a new account, put my picture in there, put our church information in there. And then what I found out a few days later is that this person was messaging people on Instagram, acting like they were me and telling them that I needed money that they needed to give me money uh, because that was going to, uh, I needed it for ministry or something like that. Uh, so first, if you get a message asking for money, it's not for me, right? Uh, so first, don't, uh, don't do anything like that. But what this was is this was a case of stolen identity, right? I started looking into identity theft uh, this week. So 33%, a third of Americans have experienced identity theft. Every year, there are 15 million victims of identity theft. There's a new victim of identity theft every 14 seconds. 
2020, Americans spent $56 billion with a B fighting identity theft. So identity theft is typically not a good thing. See here, Jesus isn't offering identity theft. He's offering an identity exchange. See, on the cross, Jesus became sin so that we could become righteous. He's taking our debts and giving us his riches. And so because of that, we don't live as sinners. We live as saints made holy by Jesus. So what this means is that our identity, first and foremost, is not in our sin. Our identity, first and foremost, is in Jesus Christ. And so what that means is that in Christ, if you have trusted him, then the way that the father relates to you is not by your sin, but by Jesus. And so if we are in Christ, if we have trusted Christ and he gives us that new identity, he makes us righteous. So our identity is no longer about what we did or didn't do, but it's about what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And so that means that we can boldly approach the throne of the Father because what that means is that when we come to the throne of the Father, even in our sin, he's not looking at us in our sin. He's looking at us clothed in the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. He's looking at us clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so what that means is that whenever we sin and we're feeling the pain, we're feeling the guilt of that sin, we don't have to wait until we feel holy because Jesus has already made us holy, right? We don't have to wait to go to the Father because Jesus has already won that right for us. And so we get this new identity in Christ that that only Jesus can give. This isn't an identity that you and I can force, right? This isn't something where, you know, we just take our card to the Lord and say, Lord, look, uh, I just want to change my identity. I don't want to stand condemned. I want to stand as righteous, right? That's not how it works. No, we, we come before the Lord and Jesus changes us, right? Jesus saves us. Jesus makes us righteous. He, he gives us a new identity and that new identity is in him. So he gives us a new status and a new identity. And finally, we see this, that Jesus gives us a new future. He, he, he takes us back to what we had lost, right? That, that he restores what the first Adam lost. Now in verse 20, this passage seems to take a surprising turn. Suddenly, Paul's gonna bring up the Old Testament law. Look at verse 20. Paul says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, what Paul's doing here is he's showing that the law was never meant, the Old Testament law was never meant to fix our sin problem. Keeping the law for Israel was never to fix a sin problem. Really what Paul says is it was to make it worse. He says the law came to increase, to make the trespass literally become more and more. So in verse 20, now the law came came in to make more and more the trespass. The law moved sin from the abstract to the concrete. See, prior to the coming of the Old Testament law for Israel, whenever they would sin, their conscience would be pricked. Maybe you felt that before. Maybe you've done something 
And, and maybe you didn't do it intending that it would be wrong and intending that it would be a sin, but, but you do it and you immediately know, I shouldn't have done that, right? Husbands, maybe, maybe you've said something in anger to your wife and you immediately know, I shouldn't have said that, right? Maybe, maybe wives, maybe you've said something to your, to your husband or to your kids and, and you immediately know, I, sh I shouldn't have done that, right? I don't know why it was wrong, but I know that it was wrong. See, prior to the coming of the law, Israel, they, their sin was in the abstract. It was kind of this prick of the conscience, but, but with the coming of the law, it becomes concrete. And so now when Israel sins, it's a willful action against God's command. So Paul says here in verse 20, he says, the law came in to increase the trespass. We've had a couple of broken bones in my family in the last couple of years. And both times that we've had these broken bones, we pretty well knew that's, that's a broken arm, we're pretty sure. And so we, we take, take whichever kid it is to the doctor and we know that the first thing that they're gonna do is they're gonna wanna take an x-ray, right? They're gonna wanna get some pictures. They're, they're gonna wanna see what's happening. Now, when, when our kids come, come back from that x-ray, we're not assuming that the bone has been fixed, we're just assuming that the x-ray has revealed what was already broken. See, the law was never intended to fix what was broken. The law was always only ever intended to reveal what was broken. See, the law was intended to show us our sin, but not just to show us our sin, but also to show us God's holiness. See, the, the purpose of the law, it, it was twofold in that respect that, that when we we compare ourselves to the law when we, we hold ourselves up to God's standard. We see how quickly and how desperately short we fall. But what we also see is how holy and how righteous God is. This is why in Leviticus, right, the, the book of the law in Leviticus, what do we have? We have God saying right in the middle of the giving of the law, he says, you be holy because I'm holy. See, the purpose of the law was to show us our sin, but, but it was also to show us how holy and how great and how mighty God really is. So in verse 20, the, the law came in to increase the trespass. And then you've got my favorite word in the entire Bible, but. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, get this, grace abounded all the more. See that, that but, that word, <coughs> that word but, it shows there's a change. It says where, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now I love that phrase, grace abounded all the more. But those, those words abounded all the more, if we, it's a really long word, if, if we were to literally translate that, it would be super increased. So get that picture where sin increased, Grace super increased. See, what that means is that there is no sin that is stronger than God's grace. There is no sin that is greater than God's grace. To put it another way, God's grace is always more powerful than your sin. God's grace is always greater. It's always more powerful. It's always stronger. That as great as your sin may be, God's grace is always greater. 
And, and so maybe even this morning, maybe this morning you're thinking that, that I've got this sin that I cannot defeat. I've got this addiction that I just cannot move past. I, I, I've got this problem that's nagging sin that just always seems to be there. And I don't know what to do anymore. The good news is, is that Jesus does, right? That Jesus' grace, what he won on the cross, is always greater than whatever your sin might be. It, it's always greater than that addiction. It's, it's always greater than that that issue, whatever you think it is, Jesus is always greater. In verse 21, we've got the, the power of sin and the, the power of grace compared and contrasted. So look at verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love the way one commentator puts it talking about the power of sin. He says that sin always executes its power in death. Sin always executes its power in death. So where do we see sin's power and sin's strength the greatest? We see it in death. And sin can really only ever lead us to one place. And that one place that leads us is death. So we, we might think that sin really isn't that big of a deal right? Maybe you feel like your sins really aren't that bad, right? Your, your, your sins really aren't that great, but the, the only place that even the smallest sin leads to is death. It's cliche, it's, it's preacher talk, but, but it's true that, that sin always keeps you longer than you want to stay, takes you further than you want to go, and costs you more than you want to pay. Right, that, that's where it always goes. That, that, that's where it always takes you. It always leads you to death, but grace is better, right? Because look at where grace leads. That grace might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So where does sin take you? It takes you to death. Where does grace take you? It takes you to eternal life with Jesus Christ. See, grace is always better than sin. Grace reigns through righteousness is what Paul says here, but, but it's not our righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness. And so because of that, we get eternal life. He says that grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through you being a good Christian or through you being a good disciple or, or, or through you trying hard enough or, or through you working hard enough or through you being good enough. That's not what it says. It says that grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, this is the culmination of this section, that, that Adam, the first Adam brought us death, but Jesus Christ, the second Adam, gives us life. What this means is this, is that there is always hope. There's never a time where there's never hope. And so, so maybe today, Maybe today you came in and you feel like, man, I just don't have any hope to go on. I don't have any hope to keep moving forward. I just don't know what to do next. Well, the good news is that because Jesus is alive and because Jesus promises eternal life through his righteousness that he won through his life and his death on the cross, there's always hope, right? So that today, if you feel like that, you feel like you're not sure what to do next, that you can have hope because Jesus gives us hope. 
But I would imagine that for many of us in here today, that's not where we find ourselves. Maybe you'd say, Ethan, everything's kind of good right now. Everything's actually going pretty well. I've got hope because everything's going pretty easy. Here's what you and I need to be reminded of. That hope that we hold on to in the throes of the trenches of the muck of life, that faith, that hope, that's not built in the trench, that's built on the mountaintop, right? And so the the faith that gets us through the valley is built on the mountain, right? The, the, The faith that gets us through the struggle is built when things seem to be going easy. See, Daniel didn't, he didn't become a man of faith in the lion's den. He became became a man of faith as he prayed and as he sought the Lord, right? That's where hope comes from. It it comes from Jesus, but but what it means is is that as, as life seems to be going okay, that it's not that we don't need hope then, that we probably need hope more then than whenever life is rough, because when life is rough, that's when we've got to lay hold of that hope. Right? That's when we've got to lay hold of that storage. See, this means that, that you and I, that even now, you and I, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how great you've been or how bad you've been. You and I, we can boldly approach God's throne. Because see, even the holiest person in here needs as much grace as the most sinful person in here. And here's the thing. There's no one holy in here outside of the righteousness of Christ, right? It is Jesus who made us holy. If if it was up to you and I to make ourselves holy, we would never get there, right? If if it was up to you and I to to make ourselves acceptable to the Father, it would never happen. But God hasn't said, make yourself holy. No, in Christ, he has said, I'll make you holy, right? And and we should have seen this coming, right? This This is really the story of the Old Testament. But over and over and over again, God's making his people holy. God's providing sacrifices for his people. And so we get to the New Testament, we get to Jesus. And what does he do? He provides the last Adam as the final sacrifice. Who then makes us righteous and makes us holy. And so now our standing before the Father, it's not based on what you have or haven't done. It's based on what Jesus already did. And so maybe, maybe this morning, Maybe you've come into this place and you have been striving and you have been trying and you have been working to beat the demons that are on your back or to hide the skeletons in your closet. Maybe you have been trying to climb your way up the mountain to God. Here's the good news is that our God has come off the mountain, right? He has come off the mountain and in Jesus Christ, he has not said, grab my hand and walk up the mountain with me. No, he has said, get on my back. I'll take you to the father, right? And so maybe this morning, maybe this morning for the first time, you need to stop trying to climb and will and work your way to the Father. And instead, maybe this morning for the first time, you need to just stop and you need to lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. And you need to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Him because He's the one who makes you righteous, not you. Maybe, maybe this morning you say, Ethan, I know all of that. I get it. Maybe this morning, you and I, we just need to take some time to be amazed by God's grace. Right, that 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 one act of obedience that leads to justification and life for all men, that that one act of obedience 
that it didn't come from me and you, but it came from Jesus. And now because of his one act of obedience, we can have forgiveness and we can be made right with the Father. So maybe you say, Ethan, I want some of that. I need some of that grace. I, I, I need some of this that, that Jesus, that, that Paul offers here about Jesus in Romans 5. Man, we would love to celebrate with you. We've got baptism and burgers tonight. And the, the reason, or this afternoon, the reason we do baptism and burgers is not just because we like cheeseburgers. Right? The reason we do baptism and burgers is because we want to celebrate new life in Christ. We want to celebrate the work of God in you and in us. And so maybe you say, Ethan, I, I need to talk about, all right, what does it look like to put my faith in Jesus? What does it look like to trust Jesus? Well, I've got a couple ways you can do it. You can send a text to 407-338-4024. You can send a text with just your name. You just say, hey, I need to talk to someone about Jesus. Or you can, you can walk right out and like happened between the first service and this service, you can walk right out to that next steps room and there are people in there ready to talk with you, ready to pray with you and ready to lead you to Jesus. At the end of the last service, I, was, I stepped in the office to grab some water and, and I, I had one story and someone come and find me and tell me, hey, they're, they're gonna get baptized tonight. And I turned around and I, and I go to walk back into the office and there's someone in the office behind me and they said, hey, so-and-so just got saved in the next steps room. Man, that's why we're here, right? We wanna celebrate with you. We wanna celebrate what Jesus is doing in your heart and in your life. And we don't just wanna celebrate, right? We wanna see Jesus work. We wanna walk with you as he works in you to conform you to the image of himself. As he works to conform all of us to the image of Jesus. Maybe you say, Ethan, look, I've, I've trusted Jesus, but, but I've never taken that step. I've never taken that first step of obedience to be baptized. See, baptism is, is all about a picture. It's a picture of us being buried with Christ and raised to walk in new life. Right, that, that's what it is, it's a symbol. Well, one, of those, one of those baptism stories that, that I just mentioned, <clears throat> we've got a, a sweet lady that we're gonna baptize in the, this afternoon who, she said, you know what, I just realized that I had never been baptized the way the Bible says to be baptized. Right? I'd, been, I'd been sprinkled as a baby, but that didn't reflect a heart change. And so, you know, I need to be baptized by immersion. Maybe that's you, maybe say, hey, you know, I need to, I need to do that. I, I need to be baptized the way Jesus was baptized. Right? Hey, we want to celebrate with you, right? We want to celebrate all of that. The public profession of faith, the public profession of faith in Christ is not walking an aisle. It's not sending a text. It's not going to the next septum. The way you publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ, according to the New Testament, is through baptism. And man, we wanna celebrate with you on that. And so here in just a minute, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing and we're gonna celebrate the gospel. I told the first service, this song that we're about to sing, it's my favorite song in all the world. Come behold the wondrous mystery. And so as we sing this song, I want you to sing loud. But, but I don't want you to sing loud because it's my favorite song. I, I want you to sing loud because we get to celebrate the good news that Jesus died and rose again. And, and because he was crucified as the lamb in victory, we now get life and we get grace and we get freedom. And that's something worth celebrating, I think. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. 
Thank you for Jesus, the the last Adam, the, the true and the better Adam who is restoring all that the first Adam lost. And so, Father, I pray that as we sing, as we celebrate the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would grip our hearts with the gospel in a new way. God, I pray that, that even now that you would make the gospel real to us in a way that we have never seen it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you again for listening to Central Church Podcast. For more information on how you can take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.